On today's podcast, LeBron James is your all-time leading scorer in NBA history, and it's not just what the number is today, it's what that number will end up being that'll be the most important part of the discussion. Uh, we'll talk a little LeBron with Kirk Goldsberry, but also get the landscape, some of the stuff he sees, also Kyrie with Dallas, and some of the heliocentric arguments uh, that we've had in the past, and of course, uh, life advice with some follow-ups. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Last night mattered. Uh, it mattered to me, LeBron James passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the all-time leading scorer record. Uh, and it, it felt good to have something like this matter again because I just don't think this stuff matters all that much anymore. Uh, it very well could be me. It's minor history lesson again. You know, growing up with numbers, understanding what 61 home runs in a season meant getting to the all-star break and like wondering if Eddie Murray or Dale Murphy could have enough. And then my dad's be like, no, all these guys fade out. It's not going to happen. Then going, well, wait, how did Hank Aaron, he hit 755 of them. Like how many did he have to hit every single year? And like understanding some of these numbers, I remember Clemens striking out 20 against the Mariners in 86. Like when I was starting to become super locked in as a kid, um, you know, ordering sporting news, having it delivered to the house, memorizing batting averages, thinking that was really cool. But the reason I was able to memorize all that stuff is I didn't have anything else to memorize. I didn't have a ton going on at nine or 10 years old that was super important. So that's what I would do with my time. But, you know, feeling like you were part of this moment because no one had ever struck out 20 guys in a game before. Um, you know, it's not the same because I'm older. I have different things that I care about. But I think for younger Laker fans or just straight up LeBron fans or whoever you are, like there was a moment last night where I think these moments are becoming more and more rare. And that itself might be an issue. Maybe it's better that we don't care as much now. I don't know. I'm not going to argue that it's it's better. Um, but I'm not going to argue that as a kid, like it was worse. Maybe we're all simpletons. We certainly had less distractions. Uh, I don't know if it's better or worse. It just is. And it was what was important to me back then. You know, baseball has ruined, I think, romanticizing these numbers because of everything that happened during the steroid era. Uh, football's never, it's never really mattered as much on the counting numbers for this stuff. If you ran through it and you sit off the top of your head, who's got the most passing touchdowns? Well, you'd probably think Brady and you'd be right because he played longer than anybody else. Um, Emmett, is it 164? I don't think anybody's walking around going 164 rushing touchdowns. Will that ever be taught? I, you know, who knows with the way running backs are used now. Um, and then Jerry Rice. Maybe some of you remember that it's 197 receiving touchdowns because it's so absurd in comparison to Randy Moss, who's number two at 156. But like even Brady, who passed Breeze for the all-time passing yards record, right? So you could say that's somewhat equivalent to scoring record for LeBron, which it, it doesn't feel that way to me. But like if we were trying to figure out what it was, do you even remember when he broke it? I'd already forgotten. It wasn't even that long ago. 
21 October up against the Pats. And the, the reason it was so stupid when it happened is that they spotted the ball a yard short and then even and then commercial break because everything's a commercial break now in football. Uh, you come back like, hey, Brady's got the record, like most anticlimactic thing ever. But I also think we don't care as much about the historical stuff with football as we did with baseball and probably not even with basketball. So the other thing that I think we've seen happen um, and it's happened in baseball and happened in basketball, I'll give you one example of it is that when we are about to have some of these big moments, like a no-hitter, like are no-hitters just uncool now? You know, as if this manager's some fucking hero every time he runs out there and takes a guy out, the no-hitter, doesn't send him back out after seven innings. It's like he's gotten everybody out for two-plus hours. Nobody can touch him. Yeah, that third time through the lineup, though. Like, the score's 4-0. Like, let's see what happens. Now, I don't think more no-hitters would save baseball necessarily. But there's been a shift at times to show kind of how much you don't care about these individual accomplishments that we've gone too far with it, where it's like, you know what we want to do at home? See if the guy gets a no-hitter. Or like Clay Thompson, when he hit 60 points through three quarters for the Warriors at the end of 16. And it's like, nah, we, we couldn't send it back out there. I'm pretty sure they were killing who they were playing. I want to see him go back out there. It's not like he's going to get Wilts 100, but maybe Kobe's 81. Like, let's just see what could happen. So some of these dudes who, by the way, would love to stay on the mound or Clay Thompson or deep down, it's like, you know, he would have loved to have gone back out there and thrown up six or seven more threes just to see what would happen. Like, I don't know. There's been a weird pivot away from some of this stuff as if you're somehow more gracious by deciding to not do some of these things. So here you have LeBron who, no matter what you think of him, and I don't think today's the day, right? I don't think the days, today's the day to get into some of this stuff. We're like, it's kind of like, the day someone dies and a guy's an hour in going, yeah, I, I, you know, I know he just died, but, and you're like, can we give it a fucking day, man? Can we give it a day? Now, nobody died here. Somebody set an all-time scoring record. Um, but look, the Jordan crew out there is very protective. The LeBron crew also very protective. I've run into uh, parties from both camps. And it's almost like they were trying to size me up to see where it was going. Here's what I would offer up. I doubt anybody changed their mind from yesterday afternoon until this morning, right? You know, I was on the fence about this LeBron guy, but boy, all-time scoring record. Yeah. You know what? Now with more data, I'm going to go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to pencil him into number one. I'm going to move him ahead of Jordan, right? Um, I've also heard, you know, maybe today's not the day to compare. That's just not going to happen. It's not what we do. You know what's... The only thing worse than comparing Jordan and LeBron today, acting as if any of this shit's going to have a different result, is the guy that says, let's just celebrate greatness. The don't compare guy, I'd argue, is way worse today than the compare guy. Like, what do you think we do here? All right. Now, the LeBron, it isn't a LeBron. Look, I have Jordan one. LeBron has himself one. He's supposed to say he's supposed to have himself number one. Over the time, as this you know dwindles down, this career, which keeps going at a rate that I don't know that anybody could have ever predicted. That's how special this is. Um, he'll he'll push certain things and whatever. And like again, I don't even really want to do this today because I could I could point to like boy that sit down with Wilbon. How about him saying like I would love some of these players that I'm currently teammates with who have been traded for this other guy I'm not teammates with. But I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to stop myself mid-criticism because I think it'd be nice to give him a day. Because as far as the product on the court, he has delivered in a way few prodigies ever deliver. 
Most of these people can't handle the stress of being in front of a camera from their mid-teen years to becoming a full-blown adult with his own family and all this stuff. Like a lot of people, when you wonder like, oh, what happened to that celebrity? It's like he cracked. He couldn't handle it anymore. You know, that's what happens to a lot of these people. And he is a basketball player that's never, ever happened with him. He's the best bet in team sports here, Brady, for their entire generation. But what I think is important where I started about you know, last night mattering, mattering to me, mattering to the people that care about records is that it might be one of the last career counting numbers that we all ever get to share together. Because unfortunately in basketball, forget trying to have a big night or no hitter, all that kind of stuff that's happening in baseball. We are watching a generation of NBA players who could give a fuck about playing in basketball games. All right. Like, I swear, some of these dudes just be like, do you want to take Thursday off? They're like, who we got? Oh, the Jazz? All right, cool. Yeah, let's take Thursday off. You're going to wear your off-whites? Yeah, I'm going to wear them. And we're going to just, you know, fire on any of the baddies courtside. All right, yeah, that's cool. We'll play Saturday. We get another game Saturday. So LeBron, who played, okay? The guy wanted to play in all of these games. Hell, he could have won a scoring title almost last year, but had he pursued the scoring title when the team wasn't that good, he would have caught shit for that too. So when everybody thought, oh, he's probably going to go for that, and people are getting ready to criticize him for caring more about that and pushing for it, it's like, man... You know, sometimes the guy can't win. But when you achieve one of these all-time records, right, the counting record for the career, don't let that confuse you and call me out for being like, don't you always diss all the counting stats? I diss counting stats for players that I think stink that get to take a lot of shots on shitty teams. Separate topic altogether. The counting stats like this that shouldn't even be tainted by me having to point that out, that player usually is limping to the finish line. Kareem. For example, 23 points a game, 17 points a game, 14 points per game, 10 points per game on the way out. Now, I know what you're going to say. Wait, Kareem went to college. The didn't have to do it. Yeah, I get it. Jordan fans also saying, well, Jordan retired. Then don't retire twice. Okay? <laughs> there you go. We're only keeping track. This category is about one thing. Did you score more points than anyone in the history of of this entire sport? And the answer is yes, that's a pretty big deal. But LeBron isn't, he's not limping. He's seventh in the league in scoring. So whatever the number is today, this is really about what this number is going to be when he's done, right? Because I imagine he's going to keep playing and no younger guys like, oh, I can't wait to play when I'm older. I'm not as good as it. I used to be. And then you get older and you're not as good as you used to be. And guess what you like doing? You still like being on a team. You still like having all the attention. Who knows if he's going to play with his son? But this was kind of the preview to what this number could end up being in a sports world where I think for the most part, we're desensitized. We don't care. We don't celebrate. And I get all the reasons why we don't. But for a night, it felt good to be reminded of why these accomplishments actually used to capture our attention in ways they don't today. Football fans, FanDuel has the perfect way for everyone to get in on the Super Bowl 57 action with a no-sweat same-game parlay. That means everyone gets bonus bets back. If your Super Bowl same-game parlay doesn't hit, doesn't matter if you're new to FanDuel or already have an account. Same-game parlays let you combine all your favorite bets for a chance at a bigger payday. So start building your own or just bet a popular same-game parlay already made for you in America's number one sports book. All right, we made one for you. All right, here's the deal. Uh, laying 100 Chiefs plus a point and a half. Mahomes under 19 and a half rushing yards. Mark 
Marquez Valdez Scantling over 40 yards, passing five to one odds. You're getting so put down 100, you're gonna take back uh, more than that $546. So there you go. Don't even have to do anything. New to FanDuel, sign up with the promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N, when you download the app. Either way, you'll get bonus bets back. If your no-sweat same-game parlay doesn't hit, make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Must be 21 and older in select states, three-plus legs, minimum $1 bet required, refund issued with non-withdrawable bonus bets, which expire seven days after receipt. Max bonus $5 unless otherwise specified. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. We're excited to do this. We never had a chance to actually interview him on the show from ESPN, one of the really cool basketball guys out there. Author, contributor, visual, I don't know, a graphic designer, Kirk Goldsberry. What's up, man? What is going on, Brian? How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to do this. So I I talked about we'll we'll start with LeBron. There's a lot of other stuff that I want to get to here. Um, when I when I talked about LeBron in the open, you know I I like this. I like that something happened. I like something that happened that mattered. Something that's historic. Well, you know you, you'll always be able to say like, hey, who's the all time leading scorer? Is LeBron. Maybe we'll have a vague idea what the number is. But maybe the most interesting or impressive part of this is that when you, when it's one of these numbers, the all time in something in one sport. That person's usually been toast for a couple of years, and they hung around long enough to break it. And he's seventh in scoring. So I found that to be probably, I don't know if it's the most important, most interesting, but as he accomplishes what he does last night and then where this number may end up going, what has jumped out to you that you think is like the thing that you'll remember the most about this achievement for James? Yeah, that he's a better scorer than I think a lot of people gave him credit for for 20 years. Um, a couple of stats that really stick out to me. And I, I really align with your point that this guy isn't at the end of the fuel tank. Uh, he might be putting up one of his best scoring years we've ever seen. Um, but oh, he's now only one of seven guys that's even played uh, 50,000 minutes in the NBA. So I think the durability is a huge part of that. But among the top 30 minutes guys in NBA history, Ryan, he's ranked sex, second in uh, points per 36. Uh, only Michael Jordan in that in that group scores better. So he's a better scorer throughout the the massive width of his career than people like Kobe uh, or all these other great scorers. So I think we've underestimated him as a scorer, um, but it, it takes that that scoring and that dur- durability. Obviously, I was looking at I don't know this is on video. <laughs> I took this off my wall. LeBron James was the first player I ever interviewed, which was terrifying. Um, in 2013 for a Grantland piece. Uh, and at the time, 
um, they were in the middle of that really long win streak. And I remember not thinking of him as a scorer. He was obviously the best player in the world at that time. Uh, I, I wouldn't have predicted that we'd be here 10 years later, Ryan. Uh, and I think that's a testament to, to his durability, uh, not just the length of his career, but within a season, playing 80, 82 games so many times. Um, but the dude can score, man. I mean, that shot he hit to break the record was was beautiful, sort of an old man shot that that we wouldn't have seen from him 15 years ago. And and uh, so it, it's a combination of things. Okay. I think you said something there that has been kind of, kind of been thrown around. All right. For his career, he's averaged 27 a game. <laughs> okay. Right. He, he hit 31, 2, 3, uh, 4, now 5 seasons. Maybe even, I don't know if to know. I think it's five seasons. The whole he's not a scorer, and I know J.J. Redick had this big rant. Um, you know, I know that I can be accused of the straw man thing at times, which I would I would argue. But if Chris Russo's the reason that you're going at an argument, then, you know, like what does the argument really mean at this point? And if it's on first take, like we know how this works. So I always felt like the LeBron's not a pure scorer was always a compliment to how well-rounded his game was, not yes. an indictment on his inability to score. If he wanted to score 35 a night and take more bad oh, yeah. shots, he could. Like, as great as Luka is, and I feel like Luka is your the best bet in this league, if you needed a bucket, who would you pick ahead of everybody else? I'd pick Luka. If LeBron wanted to do what Luka did when he was younger, yeah. and granted, it's easier to score now, so that plays into the overall number, the rising tides thing here, but... I've it, it gets treated as if it's this indictment, this harsh criticism that he's not help. It's actually the biggest compliment ever yeah. because we're so appreciative of the rest of his game. So I don't understand that there needs to be some sort of counter to that. No, beautiful. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I, that's how I'm trying to communicate it. I think I've written in the last 10 years that this guy might be the best defender in the league, period. Not now, but earlier in his career. He, he leads the league in the history of three-point assists. The best play in his career is a blocked shot, arguably. Um, he is just a complete package. And, and again, an argument over Jordan, if people are going to go there, is that. Like, this guy can rebound with anybody, defend anybody, um, and, and, and pass with anybody. And, and I, I do think that's why he's not T-Mac, who, who might be just sort of a straw man of a, of a scorer. Um, he filled up the box score, the seven and the seven after the 27 in that row of numbers is a huge part of why he's one of the greatest players of all time. So I couldn't agree more. And I think when I think about this record, it's just almost more impressive because it's not how I will define him in 10 years. That's not how I'm going to think of this dude. I'm going to think about it as, as the ultimate Swiss army knife in the modern NBA as the game turned its way inside out and he went along with it facilitated some of it and was the best player of his generation who happened to have broke this record. Yeah. And I think the other part of it too, is for all the scoring and especially some of the stuff that we're seeing right now is cam Thomas is getting ready to <laughs> practice his induction speech. Uh, and, and look, cam is putting up some insane numbers for the Nets. Yeah. And then you go like, why wouldn't you ever play this guy? It's like, well, cause you got to watch everything else that he's doing. And that's where I feel like we're, we have some real extremes. And I'm not like knocking Cam Thomas, but like it's, I'm making a greater point in that LeBron was capable of doing more, could have scored more, could have done the things that there's certainly some players that are at that star level in that star neighborhood 
that were like, I just want buckets first and I'll figure out the rest later while their teams are losing all of the time. And during everything up until this, you know, last couple of years stretch, whether it's his own decline defensively, which is very obvious, um, the decline of the health around him, not a great roster, but from, I don't know, around 05 until a couple of years ago, his teams were always feared because of one guy. And yeah, like, I think that speaks to the value of the record is that he's achieves this record while also making sure that when he was on your team, you had a legitimate chance. And that's almost impossible to do it for as long as he did in this sport. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think one of the, the things I'll always remember when we're looking back at his career is that sort of internet, maybe talk radio point that if you took LeBron off the heat during those peak LeBron seasons or the Cavs and put him on any other Eastern Conference team, that team could get to the finals. That's how good he was. Uh, and it also sort of one other thing that I've been thinking about is just how, I mean, how wasteful these years in Los Angeles have been with the exception of the bubble year, uh, because this dude is still top five player in the NBA and the supporting cast. Look, one of the stats I love about LeBron is he's the all-time leader in three-point assists. Nobody has created more three-point shots for his teammates than him. And the roster construction here is three superstars that all need to get in the paint score and not a lot of shooting around him. Uh, when they won it all, that wasn't true, by the way. They had three and D wings. Uh, but but recently, so one of the things I'm sitting there, as they lose to an Oklahoma City Thunder team, who I love, by the way, but that's the kind of game we've gotten used to. So I'd, I'd also have to say that one of the legacies of last night for me is that they're kind of wasting this dude's late 30s, as good as he is. Uh, and, and I hate to say that, but it feels like I want to see this guy in the playoffs still. And this team and this this construction of this roster is not affording us uh, the basketball community that that opportunity. Yeah, that's a real question. Are we going to see him in the playoffs again? It, it would be it would be it'd be a, just a disaster if we didn't. Whether that's in Los Angeles or somewhere else, uh, but well, I can't know, imagine he, if he ended up going somewhere else that it would be a team that wasn't a lock to be in the playoffs. Yeah. But it's still, you know, despite some, I think there's some there's some moments there on the decline and the rest of it. But like I've never been upset with him for having the easiest defensive assignment the last couple of years. I know he's not going to help on certain things because I think he's all about pacing himself. And if you want to argue, well, he's prioritizing scoring or whatever, like, I don't know. There's other stuff that if I wanted to get upset, if I wanted to provide you the anti-LeBron argument, I'm not going to worry about his defensive rotations 20 years in. I'm just not. Now, if somebody tells me he's still like one of the best defenders, I'd be like, okay, wait a minute. Now we need to back up a little bit there. All right, so let that's a good pivot, good transition to what I want to ask about. Because Bill and I have talked about this for a while. You know, you grew up and it was always, oh, the playoffs are a different breed, slower pace, they don't call all the fouls. And then you could dig into some of the numbers and go, you know, that's not entirely true. You know, I remember being younger and looking up some of that stuff. However, now, I think there's a combination of some factors, but I'll kind of just leave it for you and then we'll go back and forth. I feel like we are seeing at least in my basketball, my NBA watching years, the biggest gap between what playoff basketball is and what regular season basketball is. Some of it's the three-pointers, some of it's the heliocentric stuff. Uh, I know you've looked at it. Is there more separation now? Am I right with this theory? Are there numbers that back it up? Are there numbers that dispute it? Where are we with this position? Uh, It is more true than ever. I couldn't agree more. The regular season is checkers. The postseason is chess and fewer superstars than ever care about the checkers match. Um, that's one thing. <laughs> uh, but the the sort of data analytics era and the increasing size, Ryan, of basketball operations staffs 
around pro basketball have made the science of playoff basketball more and more complex. Um, and, and, you know, one thing I learned on the team side, Ryan, is that coaches only kind of prepare for opponents during the regular season. When you're playing three different teams in five nights, there's only so much time to scheme. There's only so much time, mental energy for the players to devote to like a Pelicans game on a Monday and a Mavericks game on a Wednesday when you're on the road. Uh, generally speaking, only one or two cou- uh, coaches are involved in those kinds of scouting events and and most of the coverages and rotations and matchups we see during the regular season have more to do with basic availability or sort of inertia than they do to tailor strategies to beat that night's opponent. Uh, I have a great example of this. When I was with the Spurs and we were going up against one of your favorite all-time players, James Harden in 2017, uh, you know, he would kick our ass in the regular season, right? And, but, by the time we got to the second round and they just beat in Oklahoma City in the first round, I remember I sent a memo around because at that time we have Pop for the first time, Ime, Becky Hammond, Will Hardy, James Borrego just lasered in on James Harden for a week, right? Or longer, depending on how long. <laughs> That's not happening in the regular season. And you have people like me trying to find every edge in the numbers. And the thing I found that year, which you'll remember, is both James Harden and Lou Williams that year broke the record for like three-point shooting fouls by a wide margin. Uh, the move that Bob Vulgaris famously is called the jabroni move back in the news, that term recently. But but those, those jabroni moves had given, I remember in that first round series, the Houston won against OKC, had given them nine, 10 points a night in that five or six game series, whatever it was. And I wrote a memo to the coaches that I would not have written during the regular season. I said, guys, if we can stop this, we're in great shape. Just don't do that. And next thing I know, they're devising a pick uh, pick and roll coverage with hands up. Some of you might remember. We're going over screens. We're, we're not putting a cookie jar. Uh, we're not putting our hands in the cookie jar. And they got one three-point shooting foul that whole series. And that was on a bogus call, by the way. We almost threw a no-hitter on that. And we eliminated them. James famously had his, his rough game in six. But all that's to say, that was a scientific endeavor that involved a lot of us. And uh, that's not happening in the regular season. <laughs> We're just trying to get whole and get through that Houston game in January. The ones in April and May, oh my God, you have all of us looking at that closely. So it is a very different thing. There's no bad defenses. Everybody wants to win. Everybody's tinkering in ways that we just don't see in the regular season. Yeah, look, I remember both those series pretty well because, and I don't know, I can pull it up here now and look at it, but. I think if you, I'll, I'll just do it while I'm on it, okay? Because I think if you look at it and you were looking at some of the free throw numbers for Harden, especially in those major years, we're like 10 to almost 12 attempts per game. <laughs> um, and then you were like, okay, well, what's the drop off in the playoffs? And the thing is, is, the playoffs thing, it always felt like it was a series to series deal, depending on how he was going to be officiated because there were still free throw attempt averages. So anybody that just said, hey, the free throws go down in the playoffs. Well, if you look at the totals, and there wasn't that much variance between it. What the variance was, it was like series to series. And that series in 17, after the Oklahoma series, like that's a perfect example of what I was talking about. He had, <laughs> he had um, in that series... Against Oklahoma City, he shot 11, 20, 18, 7, and 17 free throws. <laughs> All right? And then you have a better plan. You are better coached. You understand what you can and can't get away with. 
with the fraudulent way he's been officiated for most of his career. Um, he had five, six, 11, six, eight, and six. That's still a lot of free throws. It's vastly different compared to right. what's happening against Oklahoma City. So this isn't even about hard. I could go on and on and on about, especially that series, the way that one ended where everybody was like, no, no, he has a concussion. Like all of a sudden he had a concussion. You were like, oh, okay, that's what it is. Um, yeah. Well, Kawhi had a sprained ankle and he didn't play. So that's our excuse too. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, I think what happened with, with some of the Harden stuff, I think Westbrook was just, Westbrook decided he was going to do it. I think Daryl in the front office decided to do that with, with, um, with Harden. I, th- I think we've seen a little bit more of it where, you know, it's pretty simple math. Hey, if points per possession is this with this guy having the basketball, why are we letting other people yeah. with worse numbers have more basketball decisions, right? That's very simple. I can totally get with it. But I think it speaks, uh, it, it's so anti what basketball is. Like if your guy running around for six months asking to then be doing something completely different where more is on your plate because now the defenses have locked in on the guy that had the ball the whole time. And now, hey, by the way, can you play something different with way higher stakes and more pressure and more decisions? Y- you haven't developed him for that. You know, it's kind of like the Steven Adams watching Westbrook drive to the rim for six straight months. And now all of a sudden it's like, hey, we'd like you to maybe post up. <laughs> You're like, wait, in the <laughs> second round, excuse me, only the first round of the playoffs. Um, like, this is what you want me to do. So the reliance on it, I understand. But why haven't more teams figured out you're doing your team probably a massive disservice? Not that there aren't extremes, exceptions that you can argue, but the history of of the heliocentric guy just doesn't play out. There isn't a lot of great playoff success stories in there. I've already done this rant before. Maybe, I don't know, is it that the regular season people don't care and that efficiency is just about efficiency and you worry about it later? Because I think it's a massive disservice to a team when they do this stuff. Yeah, we feel the same way. I think when I think about it, you know, I don't know if you can go back to like historic seasons and look at usage rate, but this contemporary era of Harden Hardenism or Doncicism uh, versus sort of the motion offenses in San Antonio during their heyday of the 2010s or Golden State and even LeBron stuff that we already alluded to where he's sharing the ball and getting getting his teammates looks in, in big moments. It doesn't, I hope it doesn't work because I don't like it as a fan. I mean, I'm biased, but I love the 2014 Spurs because everybody's moving, the ball is moving faster than anybody, everybody's shooting, getting clean looks. Uh, it, it's, it's a beautiful product as well. And I think you and I could vibe on the aesthetic of, of heliocentrism, let, let alone how, how effective it might be. But I think the regular season can be fool's gold. Like, like a Monday night game against the New Orleans team without Zion and, and, and Brandon Ingram or a game at Orlando where there's, there's young defenders that you can trick and beat with a pretty simple approach. I don't think that prepares you to beat the Boston Celtics or, 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 or beat uh, the Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA Finals. I, I, I don't think that's going to work. Um, in part because I saw it not work with James very close up in that series we just mentioned. And, and when you have all of the team laser focused on one guy running one sort of repetitive strategy action, it's easier to pick it apart. Uh, not to mention now we're picking him apart on defense or find, making him work on defense. Uh, like it, it goes from checkers to chess. It'll be interesting to see the arc of Doncic's career, not only because he has a new team, teammate in Dallas, but because he's so young. 
Uh, and this is, seems to be what his future is. Is it going to get him over the top? I don't know. Okay. What do you think about Kyrie in Dallas? You know, like you, I think you and I have a lot in common. Uh, <laughs> I think this is a tremendous risk. Um, I think they had to do something. And one way, I talked to people around Dallas the other day about the trade, and they sort of swung my opinion in a, in a, in a minor sense. I don't think this is going to work. I'll go on the record. I could be wrong. Uh, but if it doesn't work, and he's a three-month career maverick, there are sign and trade options available to the Dallas Mavericks that could help them recoup some of the stuff they just sent out and could help them reset going forward. Uh, and that isn't something I fully considered. So I think that is interesting because in, as they were presently constructed, they weren't going anywhere. This year, their argument might be, even if this falls apart, Ryan, I can I can do a sign and trade with the Heat or the Lakers or the Clippers or whatever and get something back and, and start a rebuild there. Um, I think it it it's going to be tough. I, I do respect Kyrie's ability to play off the basketball. He's a forty percent catch and shoot guy, uh, but he's going to have to play off the basketball more than he's used to, in my opinion. Um, and I'm not sure, obviously, if the personalities are going to mesh there. Not just with Luca and Kyrie, but with Jason Kidd as well. And that's something I have my eye on these first few games. But what do you think, Ryan? Uh, you know, one of the things I really liked about the Nets, if Durant had been back and been healthy, was when you looked at the two-point percentages between Kyrie <laughs> and KD, they were off the charts. Incredible. I think they had two of the three best as far as like a certain number of volume, however you'd want to sort it. You'd have Kyrie and Kevin Durant, and I'm like, you know, that's kind of that Phoenix Suns thing where I know you're not allowed to say anything nice about them, but, you know, you play a certain way, right? You, you try to clog the lane and then contest and run guys off the line. Right now, with the way they're fouling at the three point line, I'm like, maybe we should contest less. But I think that was a real advantage of Paul and Booker. Like, you, yeah. you, you've designed everybody's designed their defense in very similar ways. There can be night to night variations, but all right, run everybody off, run everybody off. Well, if you're running Devin Booker off into a two or you're running Chris Paul into a mid range, and you're actually yeah. like, there, there's certain guys that are hitting it at high enough efficiency where that shot's actually still okay. And that's what I really liked about the Durant Kyrie part of it. Um, you know, when the Nets offense looked like it got stagnant. It looked like ISO turns, you know, the same stuff that mm -hmm. happens with the Knicks at times. You're like, oh, you guys are just going to go Brunson Randall, Brunson Randall. Uh, that happens with two really good players, but it seemed to work enough um, with Kyrie. I mean, all the other stuff, the Kyrie stuff, like I just go on and on. I've already said it, so I'm not going to repeat myself again. I think there'll be moments where I thought Brunson was really, really good in playing off of Doncic and then also filling for Doncic yep. when Doncic was out. Like Brunson probably did as good of a job knowing, hey, you're the number two, but be a one, but then be a two again. That's not always easy for guys to do, and I thought Brunson did a good job with it. I think in the beginning, Kyrie will probably do a good job. We'll probably even see Luke of like forced passes that he wouldn't normally give up on shots because he's trying to make Kyrie feel involved. Everybody's going to say all the right fucking things. Um, but it makes them a lot worse defensively because... You know, the thing I did admire about the way they built, because I've always felt like with Luca, I go, I'm really confused as to what I would do as a GM. Like, none of us like bigs anymore. Okay. You know, it'd be great to have this perfect rim runner, like the prime right. Tyson Chandler that we all loved. Like, everybody was like, oh, I want that guy now after we didn't like him. Um, Christian Wood's not that guy. He plays basketball by himself. And that's why contract extensions are never close to where Christian Wood wants to be and where the team that has him. And there's a reason why a guy's on like seven teams in seven years. So, I don't mind like the basketball swing of, hey, let's have two incredible creators and you always feel like 
you're worried about being attacked from a different side. Uh, but I kind of like the switchability they had with some of their guys coming back. I know Max is coming back from the hamstring yeah. injury, so that's part of it. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm just sort of lukewarm to him. I'm lukewarm to him before, and I'm I'm lukewarm with more interest now. Yeah, I I'm I feel the same way. I have a lot of interest. I think Maxi coming back is going to be a big deal for that team. Um, I think anybody who tries to double Luka Doncic now has a bigger fear on the other side of the court than they've had uh, even in the Brunson era, obviously. But it's it's going to hurt the defense, which was their calling card last year. And to me, at the deadline. When they really put it together last year, it was like you'd look at their defensive efficiency numbers and you'd be like, where'd this come from? And, and hand up, I was wrong about some of that personnel's ability to become a top 10 defense. They're a bottom 10 defense now. You add Kyrie, you lose Finney Smith. And, and, you know, where are you? Well, the good news for Dallas is the Western Conference is, I think, the weakest I've ever seen it. Is that an overstatement? Maybe. Uh, I have no idea who I trust in that conference to come out of that. We might talk about that later but this is an opportunity and it could work uh Kyrie could be motivated to go out and prove everybody wrong and and go out and and score 30 a night and and you know stagger with Luca and 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 create an offense that that is unstoppable in the playoffs that could happen I'll allow for it but I ultimately I don't trust this defense even if all that offense stuff goes right to be able to make stops against the better teams in the NBA in the postseason Okay, you send out the tweet. I don't know if it's every week or 15. I forget how often you do it. Um, so correct me when I'm done asking the question. But like the efficiency landscape, you ask what jumps out. It's really good. Like that's why I'm big on kind of like I'll look at the overall sorting of where a team is offensively and defensively. And then I'll do the last 15 to kind of see like, all right, you know, it, it, it speaks to the Dallas point that you just made. Because if you looked at the overall ranking, you go into the playoffs being like, no, man, look at them the last 60-something days. Like, they're a really good defense. Same thing with Denver right now. You sort of a certain way. You're like, they've been playing really good defense now for a long time, and it feels like they're they're heading into a stretch of being the healthiest they've been in a really long time. Do you care much about variance? Does, oh. does it matter? Yeah, I mean, the, the the trick with, I love the efficiency landscape. We put that together at the Spurs every week. And so I started putting on social when I left. Um, the, the thing, Ryan, <laughs> there's a bunch of signals in there and there's a bunch of noise in there. Uh, I'll tell you an example of each. Last year, I think it was one of the earliest devices around to really point to the Celtics coming out of whatever malaise they were in, in November and December and emerging to become a behemoth they would be in the first part of 2023. Uh, and I was learning from it. I, I, I study it. I learned from it. Oh, my God, is the Celtics defense really that good? Did they figure out Time Lord? Like, what's going on here? And then you dig deeper. So I love it. But there's some noise. And one of my favorite noisy things that you're seeing on there right now is like, are the Bulls good at defense? Because right now that thing says the Chicago Bulls are one of the best defenses in recent history. Uh, in the NBA, I mean, recent history, the last 15 games or so. Um, I'm not buying that one. I think that's noise. I think there are natural ebbs and flows, particularly in this three-point shooting era, where, as you said, variance is a character in the play. Variance, you have to allow for it, um, whether it's for a single game or a, a homestand or a road trip or a 10-game stretch. You're going to see teams that that rise and fall. And the trick is, after multiple weeks of the Celtics sort of emerging to the top right of that graphic, you're like, huh, gosh, this top five offense does look sustainable. And you start watching, you're like, oh my God, Time Lord has unlocked everything with this defense. And now you know 
they that Ime and Will had figured out this defense there last year. The other one on there right now, I'm curious to get your take, is like Memphis is plummeting on that graphic right now as we speak. Memphis was pulling away with Denver uh, in the West and now looks like one of the most struggling teams in the NBA. Is this just a bad stretch or is this a real downfall with the Memphis Grizzlies right now? Yeah, I still have faith in the Grizzlies. I'm a little surprised that Steven Adams would align with this much of a drop-off. I also think they need a bit of an adjustment. Like, there's part of me that loves the we want all the smoke shit from them. And, you know, when it's rolling and they're at home and they're letting everybody have it, it's kind of fun. But they talk too much shit for their lack of resume. And when Ja Morant's like, we're the most hated, it's like, no, you find the stuff that is about you. I mean, that's basically what happens in life. It's like, you think you're the one that's only getting it. And it's like, actually, a lot of people are, but you only care about the stuff about you. So your whole filter is like completely flawed to begin with. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if any of that really means anything or matters uh, with those guys, but I still, I'm not giving up on Memphis at all. No, no. I, and as a Triple J truther uh, on social media, I'm a big fan. Uh, I know you're a big fan. The, the signal there has just been too strong for this whole season. And then, yes, yeah, Steven Adams is out. There's some off-the-court stuff, which could prove to be a big issue. Uh, but right now, it just seems like a, a small slump that a lot of contenders go through. Uh, but that's that thing in that graphic. It at least points to some people, like, here's what's going on, and here's who's struggling, but a little bit of why, too. Which end of the court are they struggling on? I, I too, believe in Memphis. But, you know, Dylan Brooks... Uh, you know, when you talk about the hated thing, it's like, I got two reasons in my head right now why people don't like you as a player. One happened the other day with Donovan Mitchell, and the other happened in last year's playoffs with Gary Payton. Um, like, there is a lot of that kind of stuff with them. Um, ultimately, I want this team to be good because they're fun. They're fun. Uh, yeah, and they're would- still, it's still young and fun enough for me to want it to actually work out and see them in a Western Conference Finals and all the stuff. Like, I actually believe both things can be true. I can be annoyed with the way they carry themselves sometimes for yeah. not enough of a resume, but I can also find myself going like, yeah, I don't know. Of all the teams that like I kind of deep down don't like or whatever, like, it's kind of funny. We were sitting here talking about Dallas and, you know, 538, because I want to talk a little Philly here too. I feel like, 538s had this like hardcore gym for Pam thing for the Sixers um, that's gone on for years. Yeah. And whatever the Sixers is, however the players individually add up, the models have liked the Sixers a lot. Um, And I thought in years where I was like, man, they really like them. But even Boston last year, they were they were early on Boston, but they were overwhelming on Boston. That was always my pushback. I think at one point they had Boston like 83% chance of winning the finals. It's like, man, if you have that kind of model, like you better be like winning the finals in five games. And it felt like it was a little dismissive of Golden State. They have the Celtics won on best chance of winning the finals, uh, which makes sense. You know, I, I, I the Bucks thing, I have a hard time. Like if the Bucks are healthy, I don't know if I'll pick anybody against them, but I can understand the model's not liking them as much. They have the Mavericks right now as number two in the NBA of chance of winning the NBA finals. Nate Silver has no idea what he's talking about there. No. It's got to be somebody in the West has to be in that the top of that list, but it's hard for me to believe that that's not Denver, Memphis, hey, Golden State, um, who else? Phoenix. It's close. It's close with Denver, 
but the Kyrie addition to jump everybody else in the West, man. <laughs> no, and, and in terms of Philly, like, again, people don't like to hear me talk about vibes too much, but there are three main vibes there that concern me that might not be, you know, factors in, in Nate's model at 538. One is like the Doc Rivers postseason model. I'm not sure if that's factored in uh, of all the priors of his performance. The James Harden playoff variable uh, that that we've all seen for years. And even Joel Embiid, to be fair, not necessarily with his clutch, but his his availability uh, in in the ability to play, by the way, playoff basketball. Another thing that separates playoffs from regular season is you got to play a very good team every other day and stay upright in a very physical game. And, and Joel is one of my favorite players in the league. Uh, but th- it's totally fair to question whether he's going to be able to stand up to that back-to-back series against teams like Brooklyn, Cleveland, um, Milwaukee, and Boston. Out of that group, I'm a Milwaukee guy, and I'm not mad at anybody who's a Boston guy right now, but it takes a little leap of faith to say this Doc Rivers, James Harden, Joel Embiid core is going to be better than those proven commodities that have already come out of the East in the last few years, in my opinion. Yeah, that was kind of, you know, Philly's been on a nice run. Uh, I always like the roster. I think even before the year started again, I'm like, man, look at this roster. Look what they, and then it still doesn't always seem to fit. Doc still likes these all bench lineups. Uh, I think the Montrez decision, which some would argue factored into him no longer coaching the Clippers. And then it's like he still has the option to do the thing that people were so, you know, I think there were some people on the Clippers side and the numbers part of it that would say, like, everything told us to stop playing Montrez in, yeah. in some of the stuff. And then, he just kind of kept doing it the whole time. So um, I think I had one other question for you that I wanted to make sure that I got to here. So well, I think that I, I just want to add on to that. Like, I think it is fair that Doc, Doc's not going to guy, a guy who makes like the Nick Nurse drastic adjustment mid season or mid series, I should say. And, and that Montrez example is only one. Um, but yeah, I think that's fair to criticize against, against the best teams in the NBA. Is that one really going to win the chess match in May? I'm not, I'm not sold. Okay. Um, do you have any numbers with the amount of time that you spend on this yeah. where you go, this number's just lying to me. This is just lying to me. Because you know, I know like there's the one argument, the eyes are always lying to us. And I've, I've heard that a lot. Like Henry Abbott used to be big on that where he basically would, would kind of argue. I remember, you know, talking with him in the past um, where you know, it's like it's a great summary of like the things that we didn't see. And then I think of like certain players, like there's certain pitchers that I'd go, if you look at that year and you would think he did like a great job. And I watched all of those starts. He wasn't good. Like that was not somebody you felt good about when he was out on the mound. And somehow the ERA, like years removed, it's like, man, he got a bunch of wins. The ERA was pretty good. Do you run across something where you feel like consistently there's a player or there's a team? where your research tells you something you don't see like and it's just emphatic all the time yeah and then i learned i steal a lot of ideas from baseball and I, I think we're both red sox fans but like the the emergence of babip and some of the defensive factors or oh it turns out your catcher is von rodriguez that's good for your era like baseball was not looking at that when we were kids now it's it's pretty it's pretty sort of baked into the to the evaluations in basketball, I think it's like shooting luck. You know, you can find teams that are on hot stretches, and I know you follow the Celtics pretty closely, but earlier this season, 
It's like, is, are the Celtics the best shooting team in the NBA now? Uh, they lead the league in attempts and they're all shooting 40%. Like Grant Williams looks like Clay Thompson and Al Horford looks like Duncan Robinson out there. Um, and then sure enough, it regresses to the main. So I think regress is one of- way to put it. Like everybody <laughs> became a much worse shooter at the same time. Like that's that's kind of one of those you know trend landscapes with Boston where you'll yeah. still see an overall ranking for Boston. That offense has been what bottom third for two months. Yeah, it's creeping back up very recently, Ryan. Uh, right. You'll see that in the in the efficiency landscape this week. But you're right, and I think when you embrace the one big difference that that the coaching staff this year has has done is they're shooting four or five more threes per game. They're now shooting more threes than any team except the Warriors. And simply put, like one thing the analytics are taught is if you embrace that volume of threes, you Im- you invite variance into your life. Like I said earlier, at the game level, at the week level, at the month level. And November and December, they looked like one of the best shooting teams of all time. In fact, some of my favorite stats. Oh, this is the best offense of all time, guys. Th- this is the best offense that the NBA has ever seen. I can tear those down with you if you want, but... No, it's the shooting luck. They were making shots that they weren't expected to make at, a, at an unpredictable or unsustainable rate. Um, and then, yeah, the regression to the mean. It, it, and if you really are a numbers guy, you believe religiously in things like regression to the mean. And we knew this was coming. I didn't know it'd be so drastic in December and January in Boston, but it, it has been. The truth is they're a top 10 offense, but I think near the bottom of the the, the top 10, I think they've, they've regressed to the mean in that shooting luck category. Okay, last thing then. You just you just said something. Um, every year now, the best offense, that headline is out there. This is the best offense. The one that I used to really hate is like, hey, this group of five, when they play, this is what their offensive rating is. And that would be five points better than the best offense in the NBA. And it's like, yeah, but you're comparing... You're only using the best guys on this team than using all like 17 guys this team. So it's not. So why is it that the Golden State Warriors are still the best offense ever despite the per 100s being so much higher year to year now? Yeah, there's a variety of factors. I think offenses are smarter in part because of the analytics era, in part because we know how to find efficiency in every little margin. Um, guys aren't playing that used to play virtually everybody the ball finds behind the arc can knock that shot down and um, you know the take foul is, is a, a small change that inf- it adds a point or two to to a game um, but you know I think <laughs> I'll come back to it but I really am getting fed up with that that whole genre of stats coming out of beat reporters like the Kings are the best offense in history Um I mean, technically, they're the most efficient offense in history. But yeah, I'll take the 2016 or 2018 Warriors over that team if you give me these rules and 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 some of these these contextual things that are happening in today's game and pace is a factor and stuff like that. But I don't know. I mean, kudos to the NBA players. Everybody can shoot. Everybody can pass. Everybody can dribble in ways that it wasn't happening in the 90s or even the 2000s. I think, Ryan, that is the biggest factor. Uh, And then the analytics era coming and sort of harvesting efficiency everywhere in every way uh, is another big reason we're starting to see that. Hey, man, I'm glad we finally got to do this. Um, So, yeah, let's, let's not have it be never again the next time that we talk, all right? 
Anytime, man. Uh, let me know when you come to Texas. Uh, you know, I don't go to Texas all that much. Final four. Houston, <laughs> That's Texas. right. It's Houston. Yeah. I'm supposed to go see Scoot Henderson tonight, but I don't know if he's going to play. I got to look that up. I like that. Uh, all right. Well, for those that want more, uh, you can follow Kirk at Kirk Goldsberry, uh, NBA analyst at ESPN, and of course, uh, Sprawl Ball, New York Times bestseller. Thanks, man. Thank you, Rosilla. Good to see you. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. All right, boys and girls, let's, uh, let's get to it. A little life advice here. We've got a couple good follow-ups, I think, that are important. Um, guys are really on our case about not knowing every part of the technical thing on Instagram. Eventually, I guess you can send a DM and then you can unsend it if it's deleted before they read it. I don't know. I mean, again, I don't, I don't know. I don't even Sorry. care that I don't know <laughs> some of this stuff. You know, this is kind of like Kyle when I was like, aren't you supposed to be my boner guy? I you both of you got you're married you're engaged so you're not in the dm game which by the way the fact that you don't know this stuff i think speaks well to what great partners you both are so maybe a victory lap for everybody yeah sure a couple good dudes chopping it up sorry about that i'll i'll file that one away (laughs) yeah a bunch of non-sketchy dudes just talking uh but we did get this follow-up on some of the tech that we didn't understand that does seem alarming uh not trying to blow up the aussie dude's spot but one part of his story really stood out to me, not in a good way. The part about the dude's Instagram contact coming up next to his is an awful sign. That feature popped up on some recent iPhone updates, and it's basically the equivalent of a favorites for people you text message the most. You know what? I checked on this. He's right. Like a contact in your phone contacts? So like, say you were going to forward an article, right? Right. King of forwards. You're going to forward an article on a Brazilian banking loan mm. that didn't get repaid. <laughs> okay. Okay. And so you like copy and then like whoever you text the most, right? Buddy number one, buddy number two. Right. Dad. And then if there's somebody you do message with a lot, it could then just go straight. Do you want to DM this to this person oh, that you've been wow. so? This oh, is uh, interesting. This I is thought great. That, that was recent. That's interesting. I thought I always thought that that was like whoever you've been texting with the most recently because I've seen that it'll pop up. It'll be you know I, I've seen you can send a DM, but if I like just texted you, you'll be in there. But you're not. I mean, I guess you might be in my top five most texted people, but I don't know. Uh, not the last few months, dude. Uh, True. <laughs> been, a, been a little busy. <laughs> Fucking Casper over here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, 
I think it's a bad sign. I think I think the the idea that it was just he said something about a puppy and that that was a message based on a comment of a picture and that it was this I don't know. We're not trying to bum out guys, but we're just trying to update the tape or excuse me, update the tech as slowly as you possibly can with a podcast. So, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, not great signs. We said that. We did cover that. Not great signs, but uh, not great signs. Add it to the list of of uh, yeah, cons there. It's not great. Yeah. Right. It's even worse, dude. Head on Enjoy a swivel, show. man. Head it on a swivel. It was bad to begin with. Now it's worse. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hope you feel better. <laughs> Speaking of helping people, um, this is an incredible, succinct, just thought experiment. Same hanky. On helping people. Uh, smoothie follow-up. I went to BYU and did my two-year tour to Jesus in South Africa. Is that what it's... Can I say that? I don't know. I, I think so. I don't know. You're quoting him. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It is. A well, I'm pretty sure there's some stuff I well, still okay. can't quote. Uh, <laughs> I think that was all right. <laughs> while there, I was robbed three times at knife point and even watched front row while the guy I was living with got his face cut open by a dude robbing us. Now I'm married and I have three kids. There's a rule I follow that I think is important to share with others. That's why I'm sending this in. Here's his rule. Never help random people under any circumstances. <laughs> Never. They'll find help from the police or some other more capable group. I repeat, don't help anyone. <laughs> no matter how innocent it seems, don't feel bad. Too many people trying to help become victims. It's a shame, but it's 2023. Love the I, I don't know that we can endorse a flatline don't help anyone policy. Yeah, this guy sounds scarred. So I think between between yeah. where that one guy felt bad and this guy uh, doesn't believe in anything, there's got to be somewhere in the middle, I think. Yeah, right? Just use context clues. Where are you? What's the, per you know, what's what's the situation? Like, does this person look like they have their shit together? They're, they're, you can you can make a list of pros and cons. Okay, this is probably like, this guy is probably legit. And then you could probably tell pretty easily if the guy isn't legit. So I don't know. It's a case-by-case -case basis. I, I'd like to think that the world should not move into the direction of never help anyone ever under any circumstances. <laughs> this guy, I think, has some baggage. Yeah, like <laughs> he had a rough like if he did, right. If he didn't want to help anyone moving forward, I kind of get where he's coming from. Yeah, uh, but oddly enough, he came back from a trip, mission trip, where he was supposed to be helping people, <laughs> wanting to help people less. So that's not great. <laughs> Yeah. Didn't work out. Or maybe that's just how he feels. Like I went on a mission. I crammed a lifetime of helping into a three to six month deal. Oh, I got his scars. Uh, <laughs> I love talking to Trevor Maddich about his mission because he's a BYU guy. I was like, what was the deal? And he goes, I lost all of this weight because I wasn't like eating how I normally would be and everything. He's like, but then I had to come back and get ready for the football season. He's like, so I just started tying stuff to ropes and lifting them. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, people, and he's a big, big dude. And I'm like, what did the town think? He's like, I don't know. They thought I was just like this absurd human being because I was trying to like get back in a shape, um, which is kind of crazy that he could just get big that way. Again, the young body is a, is a weird mechanism, how, how it responds and how great it can be. Um, but actually working out even more after losing all the weight. All right. You know what? This is getting boring. We're going to, we're going to move on. Okay. Um, <laughs> 
We got a couple of naked gym follow-ups. I think we're good with that. I think we're good with the follow-ups today. Um, six four two ten. Focus on isometrics and high rep pump sessions. Going to be at your Salt Lake show in a couple of weeks. Saw you at Caesar's Palace with Daryl Morey, and afterward, look locked eyes trying to get a photo with you as you headed to the casino floor. Still haven't lived down the look of you think I'm going to take selfies with all of you. Um, that was the look I gave. Good luck in Salt Lake. Smaller crowd. I think that was right before Daryl Morey was like, oh, you keep saying we're going to trade Chris Paul. I was like, yeah, you are going to trade Chris Paul. And he's like, whatever. Then they traded Chris Paul. Uh, You're not mad, though. No, I just got really annoyed with him with the the, the Embiid stuff. Like, I've, I've reached a boiling point. I've now mentioned it three times. So, whatever. Uh, so, clearly, in your eyes, you won't make the same mistake again come All-Star Week. Uh, I, okay, yeah, we'll take a picture of it. I work in software sales and for the last five years I've worked with the same network of 15 to 20 guys. One of us got a new gig and, the rec- and uh, recruit and the others and so on, which has led to a dozen companies and a handful of us always working together. My wife is familiar with all these guys by name. I heard you tell a story of your group of friends sending sexual texts as a joke to each other and it getting old. Yeah, it was awful. Um, as at my previous job, in between calls, we would send flirty gifts to each other Search innuendo and Apple images get an idea of not-so-aggressive text sent. While I'll admit it wasn't the funniest sending of a gif of, hey, babe, thinking about you to a colleague while he's on a call and seeing him hold back laughter to then receive a licking lips from the same person hours later, it was a way to pass the time at the very least. Yeah, I mean, I kind of get it. I mean, okay. if your group... You guys are saying, yeah, I don't... Right. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of think this is funny. <laughs> not but, saying about work, it's before. a little I different, I think. I think. I think your college buddies... This- I, I could sort of see it where you're like, yeah, you know, robbing the office over there, just joking around. I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't yeah, it's going to be a core guy move here. Everybody's going to be accepting of of wherever this is going because if like you're the new guy to the group, a fringe guy coming in, who's like, hey, do you want to start <laughs> sending flirty gifts to each other just to pass the time? It's not going to go over the same way. Like there's just there's a tolerance level that's built up with core guys, and that's why they're core guys. All right. So uh, one morning I was sipping some pre at 5 a.m. Wife asleep. And looking through my phone, when I noticed text sent to my wife at 2 a.m. from my phone, it's four pages of screenshots to and from one of the guys she's never met but heard about over the course of three years in two companies. I'm upset she was looking at my phone at 2 a.m., so I leave without saying goodbye. <laughs> Wait. I don't understand this. So, she, so, so she's saying he's saying that she looked through his phone and sent screenshots to herself? Is that what you're saying? I think he was saying he was having pre-workout at 5 a.m. And he was, his wife was asleep and he was looking through his phone. All right, right. When I noticed what, all right, yeah, good call, Kyle. I noticed text sent to my wife at 2 a.m. from my phone. It's four pages of screenshots um, of all these, God, this is actually kind of going down a real weird road. So he leaves. Doesn't say goodbye. 2 p.m. rolls around. My wife calls hysterically saying she needs to talk. I left work early and very upset. She would pull me away from my job to discuss what I consider trivial. My tone was definitely that, it being trivial. She threatened to show her family, my family, as it's not the guy she thought she married (laughs) and that they would back her up on that. Not that it's normal as per her words I was giving off. Um. It's been over a year since the incident. I no longer work with the same person at a job. My wife has threatened repeatedly during fights to show the text. Should I just oh, no. ask her to? 
Will it create more conflict in our marriage? Continue to be shameless about it. Should I have someone else talk to my wife about how silly working with a bunch of guys can be? She seemingly wants me to be embarrassed by it. Knows I'm not. Yeah. So this is a weird one. I don't, I don't love that. She's like, if we are to believe all the information that we've been uh, given here is if someone didn't know that this was the joke that you guys did, um, then they would then ask questions. Um, this is where it gets into the delicate of like, ask questions about what you'd be like, okay, well, uh, you know, cause then it becomes, you know, I don't want to turn this into like, Oh, this me now means it's a negative connotation, all these different things. Like, let's all be adults here and understand what's going on. The fact that she's holding this over you is really fucked up. Okay. So if it's a joke, it's one thing. What if it were fucking true? And she thinks that like you're somebody else and you guys are fighting about it. That's between you two. So if it is just a joke and she keeps, I mean, again, I don't know what your family situation is like. Um, I, I don't want to make any assumptions here, but I would, I would disarm her, uh, ability here by just saying, yeah, fucking show it to him because guess what's going to, every time we get a fight, into a fight about this whole thing. And clearly if she's threatening to do this, there's some part of her where she still doesn't believe you, um, which is, which is kind of bullshit. But if you're telling us the truth, right. And you're saying, this is just this thing that we did. It was a bunch of guys or whatever. She found it. She screenshotted it. She sent it to herself. So she feels like she needs to have this evidence. Like that's the unhealthiest part of this entire thing that she thinks she has this thing on you. That isn't even a thing and that this is becoming like, and that's what people do when they want to win arguments. Even if their points aren't great, when they're being, when, when they're in an argument with somebody, like something happened to me recently where it was like somebody was calling me out for something. And I was like, yeah, but I could point to this, this, and this, which I think are just as fucked up. But, uh, you know, and I just went, I don't even care. I'm like, I'm not even going to fucking do this. I'm not even going to do it because I know what I'm doing. I'm simply trying to like get games three, four, and five of a World Series. I don't even give a shit about winning, right? after I lost games one and two. See the point? So, um, I don't know, Kyle, I just, I'll kind of pivot to you with this one. I mean, this one just feels way more problematic because of the, at the core, this is either a wife that doesn't believe you or a wife that's continuing to blackmail you. Or to be a you. bad person. Yeah. yeah. Like this, <laughs> there's some really shitty, I can't wait to meet her and get a picture with her at the show. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's pretty alarming, man. Not a fan. Not good. I mean, I guess the only thing I could say is, uh, if she doesn't believe you and you've you've made a good point, I don't know if this would help or make it worse if you just show all the other dudes that that you do this with and be like, listen, it's not special. <laughs> like, like, I don't, she might just be like, oh, you're really out of your mind. You're doing this with everyone, right? Because if, if he's got it with this guy who, the text with this guy who he doesn't work with anymore, like there must have been like, you know, other stuff that he could prove, be like, listen, it's everybody in the office. You remember Mark, you, she, he said she knows these dudes by name. So it's like, listen, it's not just Jerry, it's Mark and Todd and, and Ryan as well. Like if you what? could show, I don't like, I, that's, oops, <laughs> sorry. But like, if you could show that, like, it's like a thing that's weird and everybody does, um, maybe that would help. But if she doesn't believe you, then she's just going to think it's worse than that. You're like this, <laughs> this weirdo in the office who just, uh, you know, is soliciting texts from everyone. But hopefully that would be enough to get her to, to, uh, to see that this is not what she thinks it is. But, uh, yeah, she doesn't sound great at all. And the fact that even if it were true, or if it was just something else that like, really wasn't as as strange but still like what else would she do this for so it's bad science i think she's your wife already so that's not good but um 
I don't know, Saruti. <laughs> I was going to say, you, you just kind of have to give her like an ultimatum. Be like, listen, this is the deal. If you want to release this stuff, I don't really care. But like, you're not going to hold this over my head for like the rest of our marriage because this is bullshit. Because as soon as you start doing that, <laughs> that's the road to the end. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm not <laughs> advocating you to like look into divorce, <laughs> but like they, at, at some point this has to stop. Like she can't keep this is one because it's not that big of a deal. And two, like it's just not fair to anyone that you're holding over the head. And is is it? she's going to show it to her family, his family. I was unclear. Both, on I think everybody's I think families. The, the families are probably close ish. Right. So it's just like you, everyone's getting this. It, uh, it's not that. I mean, again, maybe your dad might look at you kind of funny and be like, really, dude, like, that's kind of weird. My dad would probably do the same thing. But like, yeah. it's not like the, that's not going to be the end of our relationship. It's going to be fine. We'll forget about it like a, a week later. So I, I would just be like, OK, like you need to figure this out on your own because I'm good. If you want to share it with other people, that's fine. But like, you're not hanging this over our heads for the rest of our marriage. It's also not fine if you want to share this with other people. I got a problem with that too. But yeah, you're right. You gotta you gotta just say like this is. I totally <laughs> this agree. Is done. It's way yeah. easier to not have to just explain this to anyone, so I could see why it's been remaining as blackmail because it's way easier to just <laughs> could see this argument and not have to talk to your mom about this or whatever. But, if she actually uh, does share it, that's you know then you have terrible. The rest of like, All right, we're done. Like we're <laughs> we're terrible. good then. Yeah. yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a bummer. Um, because it, it was very specific and and he's you know i don't i don't know that he's hiding it from us he just wouldn't email about it right like if it's unless this is some elaborate ploy where she's going to be at the show she hears us say it's not a big deal and now i don't know uh i was just trying to think of like is there any scenario in which if my my wife would do this and she wouldn't care for the most part and i don't have anything to hide but is there anything in my text with my buddies because like Everyone, you know, any group chat you have with your friends, if it got out out of context, it's probably not going to be awesome for anyone, right? That's <laughs> All just like, in trouble. Yeah. I, I would say 100% of people in, in the world that, that is true about. But I don't think there's anything that my wife would be like, that's weird. Like, I'm going to hold this over your head and this is grounds for like us being done. Uh, and this certainly isn't that case either. So I don't I don't really know how I would handle it. But all I would I would just be annoyed about, about being blackmailed in my own marriage. That's the worst of it. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a great time. So. All right. I think we uh I think we figured it out. Let's get to some crime. Witness to crime. Six three one ninety. I work out but don't max out. Uh use a one rep max calculator online feels like cheating. Yeah, are you fucking serious? It totally is cheating. The one rep max calculator? Like that would be that would be one of the worst things a guy could do. Like, oh, I can do two twenty five this many times. So that means I could. Here's my max, but I've never done it. Uh, it's just not. I'll tell you right now, it's not even close to being true. Certain things that I can do when I've gone on the calculator, I'm like, I can't do that. Like, that's not. That doesn't. Or maybe it just means I haven't unleashed it yet. Who knows? Growing boy. All right. Uh, I'll set the scene. I work at a corporate job uh, in a large city job also another pronunciation for it uh work in a high-rise downtown <laughs> as i said it i was like what was, what was that word um joe i park in a surface level parking lot about a half mile from the office building and walk to and from my car every day i park in this lot because it's the cheapest one around but it's cheap for a reason it's on a busy road in downtown uh basically nestled between a rundown pool hall and a bar that might as well be a strip club not always the most savory characters hanging around especially at night all that to say is that you get what you pay for now for the story i arrived at the lot the other day and noticed a guy all black with a 
hoodie pulled down over most of his face, cruising around the back of the parking lot on an electric scooter. He was spending a little too much time glancing at the cars, and he went past the point where it was obvious that he was about to break into a car. I sat in my car for a minute and watched this unfold, not really sure what to do. I saw him either punch or throw something at the window of the car and could hear a a bang as he did it. After a few unsuccessful attempts to get into the car, he ran off of his scooter. At this point, I wasn't really sure what to do. It didn't know if I had an obligation to call the police. It didn't look like he got in the car. He was long gone by now, and I had a meeting to get to, so I decided to just let it slide. <laughs> this story could easily end there, but it's uh, unfortunately, there's a little more. Fast forward to that afternoon. I'm talking to a buddy who sits by a window facing the aforementioned parking lot. The view reminds me of my encounter that morning. Uh, And I begin telling the guy the story. As I'm talking, we turn our attention out the window. And even though we're 40 floors up and a half mile away, we can see a dude in all black with a scooter scoping out cars in the exact same spot. The same fucking guy. Pretty quickly, there's a group of about 10 of us watching this guy in disbelief. No one knows what to do when we briefly discuss calling the cops, but no one wants to get tied up in giving a police report or having to walk out to the lot. Around this time, Scooter Guy starts making his way a little closer to my car in the lot, and I realize that my number might be up. So I grab my shit and hustle out of the building to the parking lot. By the time I make it to the lot, the guy is long gone, and my car seems untouched. I breathe a sigh of relief. I decide to go check out other cars to see if there was any damage, and a few of the cars (laughs) were dented up around the windows where he was trying to get in, but no shattered windows. I get in my car and drive home. Should I have called the cops on the world's worst car thief? Should I have intervened when I saw this all going down initially? Love the pod. Let me know what you guys think. Um, that was a little Peter Parker, Uncle Ben situation right there, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Grab my shit and hustle down there. <laughs> like, oh boy. With great power. Uh, first of all, I don't know that if you call the cops and somebody breaking into a parking lot from your office building, that all of a sudden you're in a mortgage paperwork conundrum. Like I think, yeah, you don't. Have I to think you can just call the cops and say, "Hey, a guy's breaking into cars right yeah. in front of us at this address, whatever." Now, will the cops get there in time? Major city, who knows? I think that part was you guys were rounding up a bit and the hassle department of what you would have to deal <laughs> yes. with by just calling in on somebody. Now you're not confronting them while you were in the car. Uh, I get it, and it didn't seem like he got in. It sounds like he sucks at this. Like if he was going to start, say it's his first day on the job. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? He doesn't know how to break a window twice. He, he went, he left and came back and couldn't figure out how to break a window. Maybe there'll be some internship in Los Angeles that he can join. Be like, this is how you break into every window and you just do it in the middle of the day and nobody does anything to you because help no one. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with calling down. So I'm not like, I don't read the email and go, you guys are horrible dudes for not calling the cops. I just think that 10 of you all collectively decided, eh, oh, he just threw another brick at that car. Should we call? I don't know. I got expense reports. Like, do you want to, like, there wasn't one person out of the 10 that was like, guys, we can just fucking call the cops and say, dude on scooter, black hoodie, trying to break into multiple cars. We saw him there all day, you know, and then the cop shows up, does a lap. And if Scooter Guy's in the mix, sees that, then maybe he moves on. And your car is a little bit safer and the surrounding car is a little bit safer for the day. And I don't think you have to do much on that one. So I don't I don't think you're bad people. I just think you've got kind of, I'm just surprised that many people, there wasn't one in the group to be like, I think we can just still call a cop and not have to, uh, you know, apply for a job. Yeah, you'd, 
there's no, you can just call the cops and that's be, that's it. You know, like, I think if you're calling the cops for somebody, you know, who you're involved with, then you kind of have to stick around. But, uh, this is, there's really isn't going to be much of an investigation at, at stuff like this. So you can just be like, Hey, you know, if somebody's around, you could just, you know, check this out or something. Like I was always, I think I called the cops for the first time when I was like, just driving by it, it actually, the first thing that happened was there was a fire like next to me and I called, it's like you, the same people that you call, like when you call 911, the dispatcher. So I got over my fear because they're like, oh, something's on fire. I have to call 911. And that was like the first time I ever did it. And then, um, and I was like, wow, that was easy. And then nobody, they just put the fire out and nobody like, they're like, yeah, thanks. Uh, we, we either, we already know about it or whatever. So like, it's not, it's not, the, it's not this huge deal to be calling 911 or whatever. So um, yeah, you, you definitely could have done that. And I think you did the right thing by not, uh, confronting a dude in a parking garage. That's probably good. Mind your business yeah, if you can. Yeah, like, I don't think him being in the car watching this stuff go down, like, you don't need to be, like, Batman here. Like, you, it's a, it's a, some, people have insurance. If, if there's something in your car, you're probably going to likely get paid out for it and get it back. It's not the end of the world. The thing that weirds me out about it, though, is he parks in this lot, and he saw one guy go in there two separate times, and including a couple times near his own car, and still doesn't want to call the cops to, like, get this figured out. Like, if, if, the second it happens near my car a second time, like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm calling the cops. And here's the thing is like, yeah, maybe you don't catch him in the act that day, but do they set up like a sting operation? Like, they're likely going to catch. He doesn't seem like the brightest criminal in the first place because as we talked about, he can't open a window. Uh, but like, there's a good chance that like they're going to stick, you know, stake out around there and see what's going on and probably catch this guy again because it's a guy on a scooter. There aren't many two guys wearing all black on a scooter around there. So I, I think it's pretty simple. Just call the cops, tell them what's up. It's near your car. Because what happens like if you go back in a week or so and then he breaks into your car and he actually figures out how to break a window, then you're going to be like, shit, I should have called the cops a week ago. So I think it's kind of a no brainer. It's not like they're going to put you in witness protection. It's not that big of a deal. So call the cops, tell them what the deal is. They'll go. I'm sure they're going to take care of most of the problems. And then, you know, if they end up scaring them off, then you have to deal with it ever again. I'm not sure about the sting operation, but I do I do agree with you. <laughs> not, you know, it's not going to be multiple people, but like a guy, yeah, sure. you know, kind of patrols the area and like, yeah, I don't know, who knows? You know, you maybe yeah, you catch spin it. the block one time, maybe. Yeah, I see. Breaking into cars is the fucking worst. You know, it's like not even fair. It's not a fair fight. Didn't Kyle do that once for a cigarette? What? Um, that, no, no, no. I, I broke into cars, but I didn't steal anything. That's when it was <laughs> okay. just cold outside. It was, uh, it was the Jeep. Yeah, the Jeep Wrangler. Yeah, that's right. What happened again? I didn't, I didn't take anything. Nothing. I was just, it was like negative two degrees and we had to like smoke a blunt somewhere and we were just like, I, there's this one car that doesn't have locks on the door. So, you know, that's what we did. Freshman so year, you know, come on. I got to tell you, I don't think that's wrong. You know, but the Jeep, the Jeep yeah. owners out there listening to this right now be like, oh, cool. It's a Jeep. I'll go Great. fuck with the Jeep. You know, <laughs> like poor guys have been buying Jeeps for years and they, they decide one time to park it. They get to like take all the screws with them. Because there's something, <laughs> right. again, it's kind of like the Wall Street Journal thing. It's almost like this math in your head where you see a locked car. And you're like, all right, well, I won't break into that. It's like, oh, I see a Jeep with no doors on the side. They didn't put the top on. They're just leaving it overnight. Well, I'll steal from here because, you know, there's just <laughs> sure. less obstruction. As somebody who's had his car broken into way too many times, I, you know, you walk out and you go, fucking Christ. You see it. Sometimes the door is open. Sometimes you see glass all over the place. I mean, I've had my car broken into. Did, you, did your stereo system get stolen? Oh, yeah. What? Multiple times. Is that, I mean, yeah. I used to spend, yeah. I know this is shocking, way too much money on my car stereo. I loved it. <laughs> I loved having that set up. Um, and when you live in 
a place like Boston and you're driving around, then they see the car that's parked. You know, so there's some person listening to this right now blaming me for it. Um, and then eventually the last time it got stolen, I was so broke at that point. I, I didn't even, I didn't even fix it. I just, there was a huge, I'll never financially recover were, from this. Yeah. Right? Were you, a, were you a sub, were you a sub guy in the back of your car? Did you have like, oh yeah, woofers? twins. I had amps underneath every passenger seat. Neons? Yeah. It was, it was sick. Wow. Uh, was, <laughs> well, yeah. I was super proud of it. Yeah. Simpler times. Yeah, simpler times. I mean, I you know, that was when I was bartending when I put it all in, when I installed it. That's after break-ins before. So when I went from pickup truck to uh, Dodge Ram to then I was like, you know, I had a two-wheel Dodge Ram. I couldn't get out of anything. It sucked. So I went to the Durango. But that was right as like the money, the cash flow is about to expire. Because I was like, okay, I'm leaving to go do this this minor league baseball thing. I was like, as long as my stereo is crisp, like we're good to go and I'll worry about the rest <laughs> of the stuff later. So, I mean, you know, again, I was a very dumb person with money. I would just be like, well, how much money do I have was how much I could put in the stereo. And can I ask you, did you have a GPS in the window too? Was that like luring people in or no? No, that, no, this was not, uh, this is pre GPS being anything anybody was doing. This is, okay, this is late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, I figured like two, by 2005 or six, right? The GPS was everywhere. You know, that's when I started seeing Yeah, it. I think that's that's probably, I don't know if it was everybody, but yeah, I think that's kind of when it was happening. At that point, I couldn't afford a fucking Atlas. So I wasn't going to do the <laughs> GPS, but yeah. He was on MapQuest, yeah. <laughs> trying to figure it out. Just printing out pages of MapQuest. I don't know. Trying to backtrack because you took a wrong Stopping turn. and asking for directions, which is which is, you know. What is crazy? Now. Yeah, so I know I still had the Durango. I still had the system, and then when I moved to Boston and I was parking on like you know side streets or Com Ave or whatever. The funny thing is when it the last time it got broken into, where I was like, all right, I can't do this anymore. It'd been like seven or eight times, and this time it's just wiped clean, and they like left certain basketball gear like there was always a couple pairs of sneakers and a ball and some shorts in case i like saw a game and i could just change immediately i was just driving around simpler times again simpler times just like the beginning of the podcast where i would just drive around and be like oh they're playing and i would just whatever i thought i was going to do Sit yeah whatever up. i thought i was doing that day was not going to happen i'd be like i don't know just the and, the and one shorts come out and you're ready yeah. to go and the guys that stole all my stereo stuff didn't want my sneakers or basketball gear and I was almost like, that's a weird combo. Like that's, if you're willing to steal the subwoofer, the head, and then rifle through the seats, undo the seats. They must have lived near me to be able to run back and forth to undo the seats and grab the amps and all the shit that I had. And even the wiring was pretty expensive too. And uh, I've told myself one day I was going to do it all over again. But then when you buy a Land Rover, I brought it into a place. And the guy's like, I'm not fucking with any of this stuff by the way it's like way too technical <laughs> yeah. and so right. yeah there's part of me that yeah, wants one, to do it one more it's yeah. one thing go ahead it's it's one thing to put it in the back of like a nissan altima it's another thing to put it in the back of like a range rover <laughs> yeah definitely i'll be honest These i, things are I not still want to do it but uh you know there's a certain age where if you're driving through a town with your windows down just cranking america's most wanted you're like you know what whatever that age is i am now north of it where yeah. this is this is more <laughs> uncool then it is cool. But yeah, that last time I, 
I just was, that's it. I was done. And I put a little AM radio with an earpiece <laughs> and it was the one that had the, the headphones were the antenna for the AM FM radio. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I, I stuck the antenna on my, my driver's side window and then rolled the window up and then had another piece that went to my ear and I would listen to sports talk radio. And that's what I did. Jesus Christ, dude, that's sad. Oh, I couldn't afford, I couldn't afford anything at that point. I was like, all right, I'm done. But it was weird. Like the one break in that was probably the worst because it wasn't the total financial value of it was my senior year. I was, I was flirting with disaster this one semester and, uh, a guy broke into my truck, stole the, the subs and then stole my book bag with all of my books, oh. all of my, my copious notes. Damn. So then I went to my professors and I was like, look, I don't have anything left over and I got to buy the books again. And I, you know, I'm going to have to borrow. And they were like, fuck off. That semester didn't sound <laughs> great. All right. Man. Okay. That's an episode. Well done. All right. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Steve. The Ryan Rosillo podcast, Ringer Spotify.